and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. And my God, she is back this week. She is. She has like a temple and acolytes this episode. So well deserved. I mean, the look she has going on. Oh, she's certainly goodness. it's like it's like the army of incredible cheekbones. It's really uh, it's really going well. I think I actually like gasped a little bit the first time she shows up in this episode because the last shot they'd shown of her from the previous leads is like loser Mona. And then it's like she's not a loser anymore. <laughs> Oh, so here we are. It's season five. Uh, this is the last of the 20-plus episode seasons. Uh, it's the one where Allison comes back. Uh, Mona raises an army, which she's going to start doing right here in this episode. Uh, Toby is going to become a cop. Uh, coming up soon, we're going to have Hannah's identity crisis, Caleb's hard drinking return, and high-quality Emerson Complex. Uh, it is quite a ride, so buckle in. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's starting off uh, re- literally with with a bang here. I mean, this aftermath episode is it's kind of the good, the bad and the ugly of PLL in a lot of ways. Um, and as as you mentioned before, we started recording full of retcons and weird scenes that don't really need to be here. <laughs> yeah, they like in the last episode, the the finale of season four, they were really working on like, we're going to answer every question and we're going to do it in like a laborious way that has no momentum, etc. cetera. Uh, in this episode, there's a lot of narrative momentum, uh, but they don't care about really answering any questions. They just kind of like scratched out a Shauna reveal on a napkin at the bar and crumpled it up and tossed it in like the back of the script. And so we get like a, a less than five minute uh, Shauna reveal that is uh, quite full of holes. Uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say before we before we dive in, I do think it's interesting to think about the Shauna reveal in many respects uh, in comparison to both the Mona and Charlotte reveals because whereas the Mona reveal uh, built so beautifully over the end of season two that it actually didn't even require any flashbacks because... Mona had been like built into the story in such a way that it it felt both inevitable and surprising somehow when she's revealed as A. Both the Shauna and Charlotte reveals just lean on the element of surprise. Like are forgotten that they're a possible suspect, uh, which is a, a much uh, less satisfying way to reveal your ultimate villain. Yeah, I, I will say that Uh, at least the Charlotte reveal, I mean, and obviously the Charlotte reveal is like one of the most problematic elements of the entire show. Uh, The Charlotte reveal, they at least give that a full episode of background and information. The Shauna reveal, if anything, it it feels a lot like the Alex Drake reveal to me. Mm. And this is supposed to be like a long-term mystery that you're resolving. And the character... Uh, the character is only like explicitly known as the villain for like the last tiny sliver of the episode or in the case of Alex Drake, the whole series. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Um, 
But should we should we begin where it begins? <laughs> oh yeah, with the the pilot, we've got Escape from New York, Shauna's final episode, uh, and I think we see quite a bit of tension here uh, between Shauna's A, which is kind of single minded and vengeful and fairly one note, and Cece's A, which tends to be deadly but also playful with a strong sense of whimsy. Uh, and as a carryover from the last episode, parts of this one have a pretty soapy feel to them uh, for me, particularly the Hastings scenes uh, with all of their dramatic pauses and freighted looks. <laughs> yes, and like warm glasses of whiskey sitting by the fireplace. <laughs> Indeed. For sure, for sure. Uh, did you have more that you wanted to, to intro or should we dive right in? Oh, I think we should. I think we should just stage dive right in. Okay, let's do it. Uh, we begin with Prezra being wheeled away into an ambulance. Uh, the liars hover nearby, super frantic. One of the first faces we see of this season is Noel Khan. He is kind of giving a, a statement about stumbling up to the roof and 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 stumbling upon this scene. Uh, the liars sort of loudly tell Arya that she can't talk to the cops uh, and she can't go with Prezra in the ambulance because uh, of A and because she'd have to answer a bunch of questions, but that they promised to get her to the hospital. Uh, you pointed this out in a text exchange, but the idea that if Arya just walked up to the EMTs and was like, I am his child bride, I am his high school girlfriend, that they'd be like, yep, no questions, ma'am, climb on in. <laughs> no, that checks out. Um, one of the other hilarious things about this episode is that uh, Arya spends a lot of this episode trying to be incognito. And she is wearing like 10 scarves of varying colors and possibly a cape under like a, a leather jacket. And her hair is like feels is like very big. I, I feel like she's got some big earrings, although it might just be more tendrils of the scarves. Like this is not an incognito look, though by Arya's standards, it might be. Uh, we have a dramatic shot of Allie watching from a fire escape. I feel like the the show is really enjoying the fact that we're in New York and we can use things like fire escapes. And there are a lot of like slightly unnecessarily and slightly unnecessary establishing shots of New York. Um, she peers down at the ambulance where A is getting a free ride on top. Oh, yes. Um, this is I love A just riding on the roof of the ambulance. Also, A is like super efficient like to have jumped over to the opposite roof like gone all the way down inside of that building to like the ground level or near enough to ground level that they were able to like spider-man on top of the ambulance i mean i i love that for them they are uh really good at multitasking there uh and also i just want to think that uh this is like a real moment of differentiation for Allison because we have seen so many times when it takes Allison literally a millisecond to disappear like every time she's there in Spencer's yard and then poof she's not there and like she's in the freight elevator and then poof she's not in the freight elevator like here's a moment all the liars are on the street they are distraught they are paying attention to Ezra Prezra being wheeled away uh Allison's up on the fire escape this is for sure a moment where Allison has the power to disappear and start her new life or just disappear and go back on the run. And this really feels like a sea change because this is a moment when Allison could, could get away absolutely 
Uh, and she doesn't. She chooses to remain with the other liars. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I think uh, season five is a fascinating period for Allison because it's the very, very slow transition uh, into Housefrau Alley. Like, it's, it's, it's like, I feel like each, like, she's still a really great complex character here, but I feel like with each passing episode, there's like, just a little drop of Allie that's like kind of being um being watered down just a, just a little bit little bit little bit until by the end of the season she's like an almost unrecognizable character I agree I totally agree with that also Noel's role here uh, I just have a side note is it possible that Noel and or his father is the owner of this mockingbird supper club or wherever they are <laughs> Because, like, do the police have no follow-up questions for him either about, like, why he's there or what he was doing or how he got onto the roof? Like, just, I mean, or maybe everyone's just very credulous. Like, no follow-up questions. I'm a little confused. So, like, Noel has just, there have been huge stretches over the last, I don't know, five hours of everybody's life where, like, the liars and Allie have all been sitting together talking. But, like, Noel has apparently just been sort of like lurking in the shadows, waiting for his moment to get like called up to the majors of this story. Um, this is a moment. This is a moment where I feel like we really see the use of Noel as basically the Forrest Gump of Pretty Little Liars. Like anytime, <laughs> anytime something major is happening that requires like a catalyst or an, an abetment of some kind, like here's Noel, here's Noel Khan ready to try and chop your head off or here's Noel Khan ready to be kidnapped or here's Noel Khan ready to like call in Fitz being shot on the rooftop. Um, so I, I kind of think that that's what's going on here. He's basically, uh, he's basically the Forrest Gump in this episode. Yeah, that checks out. I'd say that checks out. <laughs> oh, so um, pasty and bullet riddled Prezra is being wheeled on a gurney into the hospital as people swarm around uh, the rich white guy. And uh, in, in one of, uh, I think it was in Lauren Graham's memoir, uh, she talks about a lot of times when you're cast on a medical show, uh, the writers of the show will know that they need to include like various bits of medical jargon about like the patient's condition or whatever's happening. Uh, but a lot of times they don't put those in until later because they just want to get like the emotional stuff. So the writers will just write in the script, medical, medical exclamation mm -hmm. point. Um, so I feel like all of the stuff in the hospital is like <laughs> medical, medical. Uh, so they're swarming the rich right guy and are all medical, medical. He needs to go to the OR. Uh, and then we see A lurking ominously nearby. I love, again, like, no questions for this weirdo in a black slightly <laughs> circling them. Like, <laughs> these yeah. are, this, is very, this is a very, like, not curious group of people that everybody is encountering this night. It's true. It's true. I actually feel like, uh, like, later we're going to have a laugh when we're discussing whether or not Arya is blending in at the hospital. But I actually feel like in a hospital, in in general, it doesn't take a lot to blend in. Like, people are pretty wrapped up in whatever they themselves have going on. Um, but, yeah, the way that A, like, lurks around in this sweatshirt and, like, later is wearing, like, a hoodie and a doctor's coat. I mean, I do feel like there might be some questions. Just just one or two. 
Well, especially since at one point we see that a version of A, possibly, probably this A, with like the full on like face shield, like where you just, it's just a void. And it's like, yeah, that's a little, that's a little creepy. That's a little creepy. Um, so there were so many times in my notes when I wrote like the mean streets of New York, because I feel like that's what this episode is trying to like signal to us. I mean, when you were talking about the establishing shots of New York, like, no lie, they are practically, like, running the credits of Law and Order before, like, <laughs> like as they transition from scene to scene. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, there's, like, shots of, like, Allison and Arya coming out of a subway station later. Like, there's a lot of, like, they're really, they're really... I, and like obviously none of this was filmed in New York, I'm no! assuming. And so yeah, I think they're they're really having fun with their setup. But anyway, on the mean streets of New York, the liars have all gotten some burner cells. Uh Hannah is tasked with making a call, which at the end of the scene we find out what the call is. Um, while the liars I, I felt like Ari and Spencer were, were kind of up has like Allison a drink and is kind of lingering close by. Um, Allie uh, feels like she owes something to Prezra uh, and because he saved their lives somehow. Um, and that it isn't that A is not Jessica, but that Prezra knows who A is, which I, like, I don't really know why they are so hellbent on that idea. I mean, Prezra's intel has never been particularly impressive. And it just seems like, um, yeah, this doesn't this doesn't really seem like a like a for sure thing that like Prezer is going to know it all. Um, Emily do- says that she doesn't care that A is not after Prezra because she's quite concerned about A being after Allison. Arya drops the first this will finally be over of the episode when Prezra pulls through. She's clearly very emotionally invested in him pulling through. Uh, we overhear Hannah's phone call, and I love how, in her blunt way, she's like, hey, the guy who just got shot, that's Prezra Fitz. Like, <laughs> this is why you send Hannah to to do that task. Which, I, But I feel like, Hannah, you're not even going to do, like, a fun accent. Like, has Spencer taught you nothing? Um, and also, another question is, I feel like it's super sketch that Prezra wouldn't have any ID on him when he was up on that roof. Um, Hannah tells tells the, like poor unsuspecting nurse that they should probably send a cop to like Presser's hospital room, which like what a weird message for this poor person to have to like rifle through. Um, they're splitting up. Spencer quotes the art of war and then seems a little turned on to learn that Allie has read the art of war as well. Uh, Hannah hands the gun to Allie and Aria, which I feel like maybe they aren't the duo that you should send off alone together because as established later, eventually they'll just start talking about their relationship problems. Um, <laughs> they announce that they have a 10 minute head start. Emily like stares with concern after Allison, uh, but Hannah and Spencer are able to convince her to go to the hospital. And we get a really terrible moment of synchronicity where Spencer refers to A as he, she, it, bitch, literally as the credit with Vanessa Ray's name appears on the screen. Why the show felt the need to use such transphobic language in general is baffling. Why they felt the need to do that when A is a, is, a, is eventually going to be revealed as a trans woman, completely inexcusable. Uh, Emily worries that A's ahead of them, but Spencer thinks that Allie can handle herself. Yeah, this is really, um, this is really something. Um, 
I agree with you about Hannah being the one to call, but I also feel like uh, it's it's not a great idea because Holbrook is definitely, if he like reviews any information about this ever, he's for sure going to recognize Hannah's voice versus like, for example, Emily's. Like, has Holbrook ever heard Emily Field say like two words? But at any rate, for the plot, this is how it has to happen. Um, I... I think it's interesting that Hannah offers Allison the gun because she sees Allison as being like presumably the target. Uh, and then Aria is the one who actually takes the gun. Uh, and also my kingdom for a plot line where Aria is caught with this gun and put on trial for shooting her adult man lover after he stalked her and her friends for years. Oh my God. I want to watch that so bad <laughs> or read uh, it. I, for real. Uh, but now we're headed back to Hastings Manor where Veronica is on the phone with again, like a phantom Ashley. Uh, There's a roaring fire in the fireplace and Veronica herself is still dressed in her work clothes as if she's going to go out and have to give a closing argument in Spencer's defense (laughs) at any moment. I mean, gosh, take a (laughs) Veronica, like change into some sweatpants. Come on. Uh, Peter is silent and pensive, slugging down scotch on the sofa. Uh, Melissa is making tea and then having a breakdown over Allison being alive. Uh, She has a lot of animosity about Allison uh, letting everyone think that she was dead, being at the center of every mess that Spencer's ever gotten into, being a ticking time bomb, etc. And Veronica says that she's trying to withhold judgment probably until she can order a paternity test and find out if Allie is also one of Peter's secret children next door or not Uh, but Melissa says she is not crying over Allison she's crying because there is still someone dead in that grave Uh, she tells her mom that she needs to tell her something and Peter like looks up in alarm but the moment is cut short by more police flashers outside uh, reminder to all that later retcons will reveal that Peter and his mistress uh, had conspired to kill her insane twin this night, but the plot went awry and his longtime lover and the mother of his recently revealed fail son, Jason, has been accidentally murdered instead. So between that and the recent news that favorite daughter Melissa accidentally murdered some rando by burying her in the yard, <laughs> having mistaken her for Allison, he is having a no good, very bad night. Also, <laughs> the accidentally murderous apple sure does not fall far from the accidentally murderous tree, huh? Also, also, one thing that I like about this is that Melissa admits what happened to her parents when she worries that she or Spencer could be in jeopardy over it. And I think that this is really an example of Melissa drawing the circle around her team and including both Spencer and her parents in it. And that is very, very different from how we have seen Spencer react when she feels like she herself is in trouble. For all of the like truly fucked up dynamics in the Hastings family, Melissa knows that she can count on her father's unconditional support in the case of capital crimes, uh, and Spencer like doesn't have that knowledge or that luxury. Yeah, those are all such great points. I love. I like the idea that Peter is like, when he finds out about the whole Jessica thing, and he's, you know, now found out about the whole Bethany, who they don't know is Bethany thing. Like, I like the idea of Peter, like, taking a sip of scotch, kind of smiling up at the ceiling and being like, you know, it is kind of funny in an ironic sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, 
oh, honey, don't worry about accidentally murdering someone like two years ago. I accidentally murdered someone earlier this evening. It happens to us all. Your, your mom accidentally murdered someone last week. You know, like, I just feel like how many accidental murders can the Hastings family commit like and also is anyone ever murdered on purpose in rosewood is any does anybody ever murder the person they intended to murder with murder in their heart it seems like maybe not uh cc murdered wilden she intended to murder him true true yeah i you know what's also funny about that is like not only is it accidental murder in the case of both peter and melissa it's accidental murder in the Hastings de Laurentiis yard due to a case of mistaken identity when you were trying to murder somebody else. Yeah, if you're like ever playing a game of Clue that's like PLL Rosewood Clue, definitely the murder always happened in the Hastings de Laurentiis backyard. Like that is such a safe bet. For sure. Um, Something that I think we'll probably get into more as the episode goes on, but I find to be a fascinating element of this episode is that one of the one of the sort of theories that Melissa posits during her little rant against Allison here is that essentially um, Allison, well, I guess actually Melissa and Veronica are positing this, that basically Allison's return triggered Spencer's relapse. And they're continuing to talk about Spencer's relapse and Spencer's addiction as if it is something completely separate from the family, not anything that anybody within their family might have any relationship to or any connection to or any role in. Meanwhile, this entire episode, Peter is getting drunk in the background of every single scene. And like, this is how he is coping with the stressors that are in their family life right now. Oh, there. Yes. And I'm going to have a lot to say. I'm going to have a lot to say about that in the scene with him and Melissa a little bit later on. Um, But when we think about like Melissa here and we think about the way that she is immediately telling her telling Peter and wanting to tell Veronica about what happened. Like, why do you think Melissa is more confident in how her parents are going to react than Spencer would be? Like, is it because Melissa's primary loyalty is to the Hastings family? Whereas like Spencer's loyalty is more divided between her family and the liars. Is it because Melissa is older and more mature? Like has Melissa been around long enough that she's seen her parents cover up lots of other stuff? Like what, what do you think? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's probably a combination of a few of those reasons. I think that Melissa, Melissa, really her only loyalty is to her family. Like she doesn't have really relationships, real relationships with anybody else and seems to view friendships as weakness um, and seems to view Spencer's relationship with the liars as a hindrance, not not a help in her life. Uh, but I, but I also think that Melissa, like, has a very different understanding of R than Spencer does. Like, I think Spencer, she, she both sort of idolizes and fears her parents, and I think Melissa has a much more sort of. Um, she has both confidence that she'll be protected, but I also think she has a slightly more pragmatic view of like, yes, I know who these people are. These are people who would cover up a crime for me, you know? <laughs> what, what about you? What do you think? I, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit all of that. Um, I just, I find it fascinating to think about. And I also, 
I feel like it harkens back to one of the best Melissa lines of all time, which is when she and Spencer are having that conversation and Melissa says, if it came to it, if you had to choose between Mm -hmm. someone you loved and me, who would you choose? Like, who would you choose to protect? And I just think that it's so interesting that, like, Melissa both loves her parents and trusts them to protect her. Yeah, for sure. I absolutely agree. Yes, it's a... It's fascinating how different their relationship is in this family with their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so Aria and Allison emerge from the subway. Um, <laughs> there's this exchange where Aria's like, how did, or, or I forget which one of them says it, but it's like, how did Prezra know where Aria was? Aria, he's been following you for literal years at this point. He probably has tracking devices in every pair of shoes and in every pair of crazy earrings and on every scarf that you own. He's probably implanted a tracking device in, like, your tooth, you know, uh, act normal bitch style. Like, this should not be a mystery that he is following you and following Allison. Um, But Allie thinks that he's after A, and uh, Aria helpfully expositions that this was always Allie's fear, that they would inadvertently lead A back to her. Um, Allie points out that Prezra is clearly trying to win Arya back, and the reason that these two shouldn't be allowed on side missions together is that Allison actually tries to start a conversation about the likelihood of that happening right here in the middle of the mean streets of New York, and Arya shockingly has to be the one to be like, um, Allie, like, we have to leave. Like, we can't just, like, hang out here and talk about my relationship relationship status when aria is the grounded one in a romantic conversation you know you're in trouble they're just a couple of holly go lightlies going, <laughs> on the street, going lightly through the mean streets of new york <laughs> ali's like i know let's go have breakfast in front of tiffany's that'll be a fun thing to do yes. while we wait to find out if Prezra survives or not um i i actually think this moment like the moment uh, when Allison like wants to have this conversation, and she she's saying like, you know, Prezra came tonight because he wants to win you back. Does he have a chance? And the way that she says, "Does he have a chance?" I was like, "Ooh, this is like this could be like the kickoff for like an Ali Aria fem slash where like Allison earnestly asks if he has a shot, and Aria exclaims." no one else stands a chance now that I know you're alive. And then they kiss on the main streets of New York. But as you said, you know, and actually, somewhere in a Aria's hospital. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and like somewhere in a hospital room, Emily Fields like, you know, clenches a chair so hard that she breaks it as she feels like somebody just stepped over her grade. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Wouldn't oh, piss Emily off so much, though, if Allison <laughs> returned home and started dating one of the other liars? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. That would truly, that would truly be something. Uh, I, I actually, I like that idea that, like, Allison comes back and then the whole thing turns into a French farce of, like, Allison is dating all of the liars simultaneously, plus Mona, but, like, no one can know about any of the others. <laughs> and it's just, like... That that would be a feel-good show, I feel like. There's a lot of, like, doors being slammed and, like, Allison, like, ducking down and, like, maybe, like, putting her face in a cake and a fire. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, so Holbrook has arrived at the Hastings, uh, and it must be legit the middle of the night right now, but he has stopped by just to announce to the Hastings uh, that C.C. Drake has escaped police custody after knocking out Barry Maple. How dare! Uh, Melissa asks why he has come to tell them this, uh, which is a great question, and Holbrook is like, listen, I've read the fanfic, I know the two of you are in love. Or I guess he actually feeds them a line about Cece knowing Allison is alive and probably knowing where the girls are so everyone could be in even more danger. Uh, is there anything that they haven't told him? If there is, now is the time. And Melissa takes the, a breath. Like, this is a very soap opera moment. Like, she takes yeah. a breath as if she's on the verge of a reveal. Uh, but Peter puts an arm around her and tells Holbrook they've already told him everything. Uh, and Veronica does a nice little eye flicker here that clocks the fact that her husband and her daughter appear to be involved in a joint deception uh, that they are, like, drawing a circle that she is not included in. Uh, also, it does not escape my notice that Holbrook sent cops into that warehouse where he thought they were with guns drawn. He's feeding the Hastings this whole line about, oh, the girls could be in danger. But it's really clear by his behavior that he when he's like sending people after them, he thinks the girls are the danger. So he is a lying liar and a really bad detective throughout this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Holbrook is sometimes painted as like, Oh, he's a super cop or something, but like, no, he's not. He's terrible at his job. As this episode shows, he spends this whole episode, just like Googling various combinations of Ezra's name, (laughs) which Spencer, by the way, she did episodes ago and figured out a lot more than this dude ever did um so mona looking devastatingly good i would have to say uh it's it's she's got like the straight hair uh hoop earrings uh some red lipstick she's in kind of like it almost looks like a cat burglary kind of outfit (laughs) uh, very streamlined and then she like puts a leather jacket over it and it's it's a very good look it's really a shame that hannah is not around to see this look Um, But anyway, she is at the brew watching the news, which seems like a funny place for her to be watching the news, but okay. Um, And learning about the liars being in New York and sort of part of the whole Allie, uh, bringing Allie home conspiracy caper. And she tells someone that this changes everything. Yes, that's a very soapy moment. I mean, if Mona looking completely fantastic, but like telling a person whose face we can't see uh, that they're in New York like who who cares like she got she got that information like was she talking on the phone to someone like the police don't even know that they're in New York but Mona (laughs) Mona like I think Mona has trackers planted in Hannah's shoes probably that she like got the 411 on that before the police do yeah that makes as much sense as anything Oh, my goodness. Um, Back at the hospital, A is lurking around, now wearing a white doctor's coat over the black hoodie and gloves. But, uh uh-oh, some cops are hanging around. Uh, The door that the cops are hanging around that they're guarding is just labeled surgery. And so, like, (laughs) Prezra is, like, at this moment in surgery. I don't know, like, if A thinks that they're going to, like, sneak into the actual operation (laughs) and do some malfeasance. Like, this is a little bit confusing, but... Um, A sees the cops, ditches the coat in a laundry bin, and then we get to see Prezra on the operating table. Medical, medical, blood, arteries, don't die on me! The heteropatriarchy needs you, man! So, 
Yeah, yeah, it's very like it's it's very like weak Grey's Anatomy. I mm-hmm. I just know. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah, our favorite predator about town. He's uh, maybe gonna pull through. We'll see. Uh, meanwhile, the liars, uh, and th- a lot of times I'm referring to the liars in this episode. I'm meaning the trio of Emily, Hannah, and Spencer. They are sneaking around the hospital. They catch sight of a. They wonder what to do. Uh, They decide that they will wait and look at some magazines. And it's like (laughs) these girls look, you know, just totally normal, totally conspicuous with their like frantic eyes and shiny hair and shifty gaze on the magazine. Um, Allie and Aria burst in just then, like literally burst in looking for Prezra. Uh, there's like a lot of like frantic shots trying to build tension between Ali, Aria, and this computer system that's apparently very slow and looking up information on Prezra and the liars reading their magazines. A slow computer and somebody reading a magazine are two situations that are kind of hard to make feel like really urgent and tense. Um, but they are trying to lure A out, it seems. Ali is paged to the ER. Um, A types out a group message, which makes me laugh, like A being on a group text, um, instructing them to follow somebody to follow the leader. Allie runs off. The liars try to follow A, but later, good work, girls. Allison leaves, seemingly pursued by A. Oh, yes. This this plan is um, this plan is just a liar plan if I've ever seen one. (laughs) Uh, also, like, I find it hilarious that the liars, they see A, they see A talking on the phone, but instead of, like, splitting up and then tackling A, which I feel like could be a solid choice, they're like, we're gonna go over here and sit with these magazines waiting for A to see us, like, hey. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those classic liar plans. It it reminds me actually a lot of the whole thing of like when they led, when they thought Spencer was on the A team and they led her into the bathroom uh, to be like, if she doesn't know who red coated, then that is, then that means she's one of us. Like it's like they're acting like it's this very highbrow, complicated plan, but it's just not. Like it's just, <laughs> it, it's just, it's just not a highbrow plan. So uh, still at the hospital now, Aria paces and cannot get near the OR because of the cops and because it's an operating room. Uh, and again, like with the ambulance, being a child bride does not get you access, uh, strangely enough. Uh, Allison, out on the streets, nearly gets hit by a cab. Allison listens to a street musician play the saxophone. Uh, Allison catches sight of A and runs to a nearby playground. Uh, the playground equipment naturally swings and spins ominously. Uh, probably the playground is haunted by a bunch of child ghosts, because why not? Um, a hooded figure appears right behind her and says, Wanna play? It's over, in a super creepy whisper. But man, something about the hooded figure talking to you instead of like texting or leaving lipstick messages or tooth notes is like weirdly anticlimactic, I feel. <laughs> like when they when they just whisper in a creepy way, it's just like that just makes them feel like a dork in a mask. Like it, it's like way less menacing. Do you like do you agree or disagree? No, I completely agree. And actually, there there are a lot of moments in this episode that I feel like were sort of little homages to the Scream movies. Mm-hmm. And to me, it reminds me a lot of um, 
inevitably, you know, in the third act of any Scream movie, when the person has taken off the ghost face mask and they're just talking into, like, the voice modulator thing, and it's like, oh, well, like, it's the same creepy voice, but, like, when you're just standing there holding a thing <laughs> over your mouth, like, it's, it's like, it, it's a little goofy. Like, it's not really that scary anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. I feel like hearing a like gruffly whisper it gave me kind of shades of that yeah yeah i i totally so so a is like they're whispering in this like creepy meant to be menacing way uh and then spanily like emerge from the shadows to do a little like ha ha we would never let allison leave the hospital alone but again this would have worked better if they had like tackled a and were unmasking them at this point uh but they they take a moment to like you know, do the haha, this was our magical plan, uh, and then wait for Allison to pepper spray uh, Talkie A in the face. Uh, that hooded figure staggers away, but another appears asking, What if they're A? Then another A with a crazy mask on, and another, and another, and then there's a flash mob of A's with music dancing menacingly around the liars and they're all like how did the glee club club get here we don't understand and there are just like so many a's it's so stupid but it's also hilariously campy and ridiculous um a passing cop car like flips the siren on and tells everyone to disperse um the liars like crouch behind a slide and lament that a got the glee club and was a step ahead of them uh, but at least they got A away from Prezra. Which, like, how did they know that? I mean, now it could be, like, anybody could be A. Like, the surgeon could be A. Like, they, like, there's so many, you know what I mean? Like, like they, they, they have no reason to think that, like, this group of A's includes the, the master A, you know? Yes, that is totally correct. Also, in the, um, in the event that, like, Prezra dies and then Arya has to go on trial for his murder because she has the gun in her jacket. Um, I would have loved a reveal in this episode that there are like all these surgeons like medical, medical, don't die on us. And then you see that behind one of the surgical masks, the doctor is Ren Kingston. (gasps) But of course, um, of course, that's just on the list of things that should have happened in this episode, but didn't a running list compiled by me. Oh my goodness! You're yeah, you're you're setting into motion lots of things that I really love. Um, yeah, this is truly one of the dumbest scenes in all of PLL. But it is so fun. It's so stupid and it's so fun. It's like it's sometimes there are scenes that are just stupid in a in a unfun way, and this one is just yeah, this one is great. It's I, like I just... it's like to- oh go go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like. So much of, like, after this long, like, it sometimes feels like, you know, what can A do that A hasn't done before? And this is great. A has never done a flash mob. This is, like, I feel like (laughs) this flash mob, although, like, we presume that it was, like, called as a go by Shauna, this was definitely organized by Charlotte. Like, this has CC's sense of fun all over it like she's been teaching these people the choreography for like at least three weeks well and one of the things that I kind of love about it is it's like I feel like flash mobs were even kind of dated when this episode aired and so like I really like the idea of like Charlotte being like flash mobs that's a kid thing that kids are into right (laughs) 
She's like, I was going to use one to propose to Melissa, but I think I can just repurpose it for this, like, light A playground menacing. That'll be fine. I feel like this has shades of of the scene where stoned Toby gets, like, pelted with tennis balls. I, I, yeah, I I feel like um, if you made, like, a top five just, like, balls out ridiculous scenes of PLL, this one and uh, the Toby, like, <laughs> the Toby gummy bear arcade debacle uh, would, would definitely, definitely be on there. One of the best things about that just brief sidebar on that scene is that it's not just that the, the that it takes down Stone Toby. Like, it takes down the entirety of the Rosewood <laughs> Like, Lorenzo gives it a sling after that. Yes, because of the deadly tennis balls that A is shooting at them. Yes. Yes. So quite quite a thing. Yes. Anyway, back at the hospital, Aria is waiting when she hears Mrs. Fitzgerald. And she turns around because the thought that somebody might have mistaken her for Prezra's wife fills her heart with a pattering that she didn't think she could experience anymore. But no. It is merely a nurse very loudly talking on the phone, <laughs> probably breaking all sorts of HIPAA rules um, with an update about what's going on with Prezra. The bullet's out, but there's some significant arterial damage. Medical, medical. Aria is concerned. Mm, mm. Uh, do you want to also take the next scene with Mona calling in an airstrike? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so... Uh, Mona is talking on the phone to somebody about mobilizing when we see Lucas. This also feels like a kind of anticlimactic moment because Lucas is clearly the person that Mona was talking to earlier. And it's just kind of like, oh, hey, Lucas. Uh, He's peering through this like weird newspapered over window in. Is this in the brew or is this somewhere else? I'm not sure. I just had this as like I just had this as like Mona's secret headquarters because it's like it looks kind of run down. There's like all this like sort of broken seeming furniture around. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, The liars aren't in Philly. They're in New York. She announces uh, Lucas seems a little disappointed about the turnout. He thought more people would be here. But Mona says that they are coming. And uh, I had to just take the note again that this outfit is wasted on him. Yeah, I mean, she really exudes confidence. Like, have you seen my outfit? There will be more people here to observe me. Yes, I didn't just put this all on for you, Lucas. Melissa Hastings and Paige McCullers will be here imminently. (laughs) Paige and I are going to have a leather jacket off, Lucas. Yeah, and then ooh. take our leather jackets off. Ooh, so who do you think, I guess we'll get to this in the scene with Paige, but like, top of your head, who has the queerer look this episode? Is it Mona or is it Paige? Oh, man. Probably, uh, maybe Paige. I don't know. I'm more into Mona's look, but I think like Paige's look is is probably queerer. Yeah, and also, like, there's there's the look of, like, what their outfit looks like, but then there's the look that Paige gives Melissa Hastings when she walks in that door, which is probably the queerest look of the episode. Yeah, that is that is a pretty a pretty queer look. I mean, her her swift U-turn speaks volumes. (laughs) 
Uh, so speaking of Melissa, it is now Melissa's turn to creep down the stairs of Hastings Manor and be frightened by a man in the kitchen. Uh, the man in question is Peter Hastings, who has been drinking scotch alone in the dark. Uh, this is probably the moment when the show makes Peter's drinking problem the most clear. Like, you know, uh, a clear head would probably be very useful to your family, which has one daughter missing and the other flirting with the idea of a murder confession. Uh, but again, like father, like daughter, um, just as Spencer's response to being part of the accidental murdering party for Elliot Rollins and being disappointed about Caleb will be to get extremely soused. Peter is responding to accidentally murdering his mistress and being upset by the loss of Jessica by pouring every bit of liquor in the house down his throat. Uh, when Melissa says that she wants to tell Holbrook the truth, Peter gets up and it seems like he's physically menacing her, uh, but really he just wants to reach behind her for another bottle. Like his demeanor here is he is like moments away from drinking like the mouthwash and the cough syrup in the home, uh, just so that he can like really get all of it here. Uh, he kind of rasps that Veronica must never know what Melissa told him earlier. Uh, then he staggers upstairs with a bottle of scotch and a glass in hand. Not great, but still more parenting than we saw Byron do while Ella was in Europe. Rosewood Dad's the lowest bar on the sliding scale. I feel like, <clears throat> not to like take this to a dark place or read too much into this, but like, I feel like the combination of like a father being really drunk and like kind of getting in his daughter's personal bubble in a very menacing way with him saying your mother can never find out about this is a very creepy combination of things. And I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about why it is that Peter feels that Veronica can never find out about this. Because often we see, I mean, obviously Peter has <laughs> kept a lot from his wife and cheated on his wife, but often in terms of like quote unquote parenting decisions, we see the Hastings as a relatively united. Why, why can't Veronica know? That is such a good question. Um, in, in terms of, like, you taking it to a dark place, I agree. And there is a moment when, like, a genuine fear, like, flits across Melissa's face. And yeah. it's, like, a really surprised fear. Like, Melissa has not been afraid of her dad before. And she is, in this moment, afraid of him and not sure what he's going to do. Um, I think that there is a lot going on here. I think that for one thing, Melissa has like, and it's, it's super, it's super problematic uh, considering what we're later going to learn about Spencer's parentage. Uh, Melissa is the child of Veronica and Peter. Melissa is the only child of Veronica and Peter. And she has always True. been treated as like the golden one. Um, you know, she's, she's smarter than Spencer. She doesn't get in trouble like Spencer. Um, and so I think that this is, this, it's, it's almost like a coming out arc. Like Melissa has like mm -hmm. told her parents about this thing that she has done. And Peter is like, he's grieving the loss of the perfect daughter. Uh, mm -hmm. And so his, mm -hmm. his instinct yeah. is that he wants Veronica to still have that. Like he wants Veronica to still have their perfect daughter, like un, unmarred by this like new truth that he's having to deal with. 
I think that that's part of it. Um, I also think that part of it is that Peter is really fucking drunk and it is debatable whether he even knows he's talking to Melissa or whether he is talking about the murder that he accidentally committed, which Veronica can never know about. Like, I, I think that both of those things are like potentially true. Yeah, I, I I like both of those explanations. I also was kind of thinking back to our Aria episode last week when you were talking about how, you know, if it, it, sort of how how the Byron secret kind of functions, where it's like if the Byron thing didn't happen, then what and wasn't wrong, then Aria, you know, keeping it from her mother wasn't wrong, and also then the Aria Prezer thing wasn't wrong. They're okay too, and I definitely think that there's an element of like of that happening with Peter because as we just talked about Peter has done virtually the exact same thing now that Melissa has done, and I think there is sort of this thing of like we don't talk about it and it's okay. That makes it okay. Oh yeah, and also I mean speaking of <laughs> speaking of advice given to you by mad alcoholics, uh, this is very much Don Draper and Peggy Olson. Uh, when Peggy, spoilers for Mad Men, um, when Peggy has just had Pete's baby and Don visits her and he says, this never happened. You'll go on and you'll be amazed by how much it never happened. That is the same advice that Peter is giving to Melissa right here. Like, it never happened. You never told me about it. You're never telling anyone else about it. Like, it didn't happen you'll be amazed by how much it didn't happen. Peter really is Don Draper in so many ways. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I mean, chronically unfaithful alcoholics. Yes, true. So back at the police stand, we are somehow, for some reason, wasting time with Holbrook getting caught up on, like, things we learned on this show in the first two seasons. Uh, Holbrook gets a call from the NYPD about a shooting that might have something to do with Rosewood, and he writes down the name Presra Fitz on a notepad uh, and then uh, types it into the database to learn that Presra is a teacher, which he helpfully tells us by whispering, he's a teacher. Uh, yeah, I'm so glad that we are spending time with a character learning about one of the main characters of the show, information that we have known about about for years at this point. Yeah, this is so weird. And it's also like a testament to what a bad detective he is that like, despite the fact that like Prezra is like enmeshed in the liars lives in one million ways and had a romantic relationship with underage Allison, like he's just now hearing this name. (laughs) <laughs> right right it's it's so it's so weird it's so weird it doesn't make any sense at all um do you would you like to talk about aria at the hospital too since the Holbrook scene was like short and silly sure sure yeah this is one of those episodes where it's like i feel like there's just a lot of like short close together scenes um so aria is on the phone filling the liars in on everything that's going on at the hospital while they fill her in on the whole situation um at uh you know on the main streets of new york uh aria says that she's the only one here for presra his 
Molly isn't here, and she thinks that if she stays, then she can blend in, uh, which, LOL. Uh, the liars say that they need somewhere to go because apparently they're just all going to hang out until Prezra is ready to be wheeled back home safe and sound. Um, Allie says that she knows a place where they can stay, which is hilarious because it's like Allie and all of her weird little like spots in all the different cities where she traversed. Uh, this is also, though, I feel like a sea change for Allison uh, because she's literally showing them behind the scenes like she's showing them one of the places that she goes that she disappears to uh which again is like an interesting uh adjustment for her well and what's interesting too is that as we'll see in the next scene like she doesn't give them some like vague thing about like oh well i used to sleep here on weekend you know like she does like she actually tells them the truth about like how she came to know this place Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh so this is really nice allison just got back and now Emerson and Spana are on a double date at the theater. <laughs> um, the Fitzgerald Theater, that is. Uh, and most unfortunately, we now have to endure a flashback to a day in the life of Prezra Fitz, an ordinary day, when he took a 14-year-old who he makes a big production of being able to see through, except he's completely credulous in believing she's 21. Funny how that works. Um, he takes her to this empty theater that his family owns for a little indoor picnic. Goodness, all of the purely platonic things these adult men do to spend time with Allison. It, it boggles the mind. Um, anyway, he has brought them here to experience his special place. And while Allison has like a moment, you know, standing on the stage and imagining what it would be like to be loved by an entire audience, he chooses to burst her bubble with his more worldly than thou act where he wants to tell her about herself some more. Um, Oh, she tells her stories until, you know, she almost seems to believe half of them are true and how she's totally his Holly go lightly. I love the writing for him here because this is exactly the kind of thing that these dudes say to make themselves sound deep. But of course, like they're never actually talking about the woman in front of them. They're always like, talking about the character they're writing for her and their great American sex novel of the mind. Um, Fuck that. Anyway, Allison's response to him is very interesting as she says, if you can't convince yourself, why would anyone else believe you? Um, A custodian walks by and calls Prezra Mr. Fitzgerald and Allison realizes that he is a rich boy pretending to be a poor boy, which she now says in the present moment made her like him more because he really had her fooled. Uh, And I think we're maybe supposed to get a parallel here, like Prezra is always better than you think he will be. Uh, But I take another lesson, which is that he is always behaving inappropriately to teenage girls and lying about important pieces of his identity. Uh, We see an uncomfortable look sort of passing across Emily's face at this point in the narrative. Uh, And then Allie goes on to say that she actually thought that that was an asset back then. Uh, again, drawing a line between then and now. Uh, anyway, they should be fine. She stayed here a few times before, and they don't open the place until noon. Yeah, this is a this is a very interesting moment. I also, I, first of all, I love the idea that they're like, we have to go hide out somewhere. We're going to go to this theater. We're not going to go to like any of like the backstage areas or anything like that. No, 
we're going to hang out on this set on the stage. <laughs> and we're going to turn on all of the lights. We're going to turn on every light in the building. Yes, exactly. It's it's so Allison, literally hiding in plain sight. Um, but yeah, Prezra is like super crappy. And like, he's basically just negging her through this whole scene. He's like, you know, he's like really crappy about the difference between adoration and love. As you said, he like mansplains Allison to herself. Um it's gross. It's super gross. But, you know, I had the thought that, like, Allie and Prezra could have been a really interesting actual relationship for the show to explore if they had, like, let it be as crappy as we see it here, you know? Yeah, I actually, I I like the way that we, like, we see in this scene uh, a commonality between Allison and, and Prezra. Like, they're both liars who are lying to people yeah. Like, as easily as they breathe. Like, and it's, you know, th- they could be interesting. It could be kind of like a spy versus spy situation with the two of them for, like, who has the upper hand. But this is also, like, Allie's responses to him um, versus, like, like, it's bad. Like, both of these situations are bad where he's taking advantage of a teenage girl. Like, it's bad in in both ways, it's worse because Arya is actually his student. There is a power dynamic at work there. And it's also bad because, like, Allison understands this kind of guy. Like, Allison, yeah. like, Al- Allison has seen this before. Allison is not enormously impressed with him. Arya is going to take every single thing this fucker says, like, and she's going to hold it deeply in her heart for the rest of her life. So in a lot of ways, like what like what happens with Arya is like way worse because Arya is in no way emotionally prepared for it. Whereas Allie has like been around enough assholes in her life to be like, oh, right. This is the kind of guy he is. Right. Right. Yeah. Arya just she doesn't really have the life experience and she's been raised by a Prezra. So like to her, this is just like normal, good human male behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we get uh, quite the literal Chekhov's gun moment here where uh, Hannah like picks this big prop rifle up off the stage and was like, oh, it's real. And she starts like swinging it around and then eventually like, stomach growling. So even though they'll be good here for a little while, they decide it's time to go raid the concession stand. Uh, also, like, Spencer might still be going through withdrawal. Like, it's it hasn't been that long since uh, since all that stuff happened. And, of course, we're not going to acknowledge any of it. Um, there's, like, some genuine cuteness over the concessions and a reality show that the liars watched that Allison hasn't heard of, which is a great illustration of how, like, out of their world they, she's been. Also, I'm impressed that in between constantly almost getting murdered, the liars are able to keep up on the reality. Reality TV show Freaky Foodies. Um, and also, also, Spencer and Hannah watched a Freaky Foodies marathon together. Do not think that that escaped my notice. <laughs> I need all of the details about that marathon and how much were they cuddling by the end of it. Uh, Allison announces that she needs to make a call to a few friends who've risked a lot for her. Uh, it's like very typical Allie, elusive and spooky. The liars are suspicious and Hannah full on follows Allison, but isn't able to really glean much from the call. Um, I like that they are like less scared of her uh, and more just kind of like annoyed that she's keeping things from them. And I feel like already 
as we've kind of been pointing out, the, the typical dynamic that existed between the five of them is shifting. Yeah, especially because this is like an old time Allie move. Like this is a move that the old Allison would make uh, because she wants to feed on the liars' insecurities. Like, oh, I have to call my other friends who you don't know about, who've done a lot to help me. Uh, and I'm going to like go off in secret to do it. Um, but the liars don't just take that anymore. Like Hannah boldly just follows her upstairs and tries to eavesdrop. Like it, it, her old yeah. tricks are not working in the same ways, which I like that dynamic a lot. Yeah, I like how they, I mean, they basically have this attitude of, you know, <laughs> that's kind of where they're at. Oh, oh, Susie Clueless, back at the hospital beat. Uh, Aria is still roaming around wearing her pleated leather jacket with a faux fur ruff with 11 different colored scarves and a gun in the pocket. Uh, someone sits down next to her wearing a jean jacket and it's Shauna uh, in her Shauna face sent by Allison to make sure Aria is okay. Um, Aria is very not into this, but Shauna says, oh, you must be exhausted. If you fall asleep, Shauna will wake you up if there's any news. Uh, yeah, Shauna is like as nice as we've ever seen her here, which if it was any other liar, I think that the, the suspicion bells would be going off, <laughs> you know, but it's Aria and she's just like, like sort of flouncing around like, ah. Fine. I guess if you want to hang out with me, like, have you ever heard a story about a cat and a couple of no-name slobs? <laughs> we have like, some time to kill. Maybe we could get into that. She's like, is that a red flag or one of my scarves? I'm just not sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so the liars back on the stage, uh, Al- Allison appears to be sleeping. Spencer worries that she is shutting them out again. Um, Hannah is like, you know, it's Allie, like she could be listening in, but she goes to check on Allison and confirms that she is truly asleep and thus commences probably one of my favorite scenes of the entire series. Uh, Emily, of course, is very quick to point out that it makes sense that people were helping Allison because who wouldn't be in love with Allison? I mean, who wouldn't help Allison? Um, But Spencer points out that they're the ones who have been helping her. Uh, So who is she reaching out to? You know, they they are not a couple of no-name slobs. They are the liars, damn it. (laughs) Uh, Emily pulls the second this will all be over of the episode. And then there's like some kind of cute but kind of weird like span of banter, like reminding us that Ashley is dating a preacher. I don't know what, I'm not really sure the function of that line, but it's like kind of cute. Um, they think about what life would be like without A, would they actually be able to do things like develop hobbies? Hannah says that she's never had a hobby, but she wouldn't mind taking up a sport. Uh, Emily and Spencer kind of exchange a look as they ask which one. And Hannah considers this before saying, hmm, I've always liked Spencer's field hockey skirt. And, you know, like the way her legs look in it and she's like taking her field hockey skirt off. And, you know, before she can like keep going, Spencer laughs and smiles and says that Hannah can have it. And I die a little bit because, man, (laughs) these two are so cute. 
Uh, Spencer says that she wouldn't want to go back to the person that she was before. All she cared about was winning, and now she just really wants to be happy. Um, I love this scene so much. I feel like this line is like a really interesting thesis statement for Spencer as a character. Um, and you know, it, it, it makes me think again about sort of the, the difference between Melissa and Spencer, that it's like Spencer has found this group of people who love her unconditionally. And she's recognized that like, ultimately that matters more than whether or not she wins or loses. Yeah. I, I love this. It's, it's such a good scene and it's so heartbreaking because this is really like, this is really like the last moment of the liars' lives where they're going to believe in it could be over. It could really be yeah. over. Um, because shortly after this, like even after everything that happens in this episode, it's not over. Uh, it just always it just always keeps on going. Uh, and also it's it's really heartbreaking when Spencer says that she just wants to be happy because the show as a show, is going to dangle happiness in front of Spencer so many times as a carrot uh, right before it hits her over the head with a misery stick. Um, yeah. So that's that's really a bummer. Uh, but I, I like the way that this little conversation, like, it sets up so much for what's going to happen. Like, when Spencer says, I wouldn't want to go back to being who I was before, like, it's not even just about the winning. It's like she's not going to be a person who's vying for Allison's attention or esteem. Mm -hmm. Like she's not going to go back to that. She's not going to like give up her position as the de facto leader. So like Spencer has some clear ideas about like where she wants to go from here. Um, Hannah doesn't really have any ideas about where she goes from here. And that's really interesting too, because Hannah is going to really have kind of a crisis once Allison is back and Hannah has to figure out, like who she is if she's not the new Allison or who is the new Allison once the old Allison is like back to resume that role. Uh, and of course, Emily like doesn't say any of this, but she's just sitting there like vibrating with love, hoping that who she'll get to be is Allison's future wife. And spoiler alert, Emily, you will, but not how you think. <laughs> yeah. Careful what you wish for there fields. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's a it's a lovely scene. I also love the significance of it taking place on a stage, you know, um, and like Allison being asleep. Like, I just think it's 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 beautifully filmed. I like that they've all kind of been in these jackets this whole episode. And this is like the first scene where they've taken off their jackets. It's like it's just the three of them. They finally feel kind of comfortable enough to to be a little bit more relaxed with each other. Um yeah, it's just, it's lovely. I think it's great. It is. Uh, do you think Allison is really asleep? Probably not. <laughs> what I about agree. you? No, absolutely not. Come on. <laughs> it's an Allison. <laughs> I mean, if she is asleep, she has her phone recording them. Like, the Allison is not going to, like, just let the liars be talking. Although Allison sleeping in their presence is another way that she is showing vulnerability and trust. Like they could like call the cops and turn her in right now, but she's trusting that they won't. Well, it's also a great parallel to the last episode that showed Allison watching all of the liars sleeping and mm -hmm. now she's the one asleep. Yeah. 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 Um, back at the hospital, the police guard changes and Aria has indeed fallen asleep. Uh, her coat falls to the floor 
And Shauna picks it up and puts it over her like a blanket, definitely uh, becoming aware at that moment that there is a gun inside of the coat. <laughs> yes, yes. And also, like, becoming aware at this of, in this moment that Arya is the easiest mark ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, can I can I take the you next? Wanna, oh, yeah, yeah. Would you you okay? get the next. Yeah. Okay. Of course. So um, the liars are still asleep in the theater. Uh, someone comes in and stands over Allison. A black gloved hand is placed across her mouth to stop her screaming. And I scream because after the break, we see that it's Cece. Hi, Cece. You're looking great as always. Um, she and Allison are hanging out in the dressing rooms backstage, uh, but Cece is frazzled, as you are when you just escape police custody. Uh, Allison asks Cece how she found her, uh, and her secret big sister says, they don't just look alike, they think alike, too. Which, I love that line so much, because like so much of this show is like, how much of Allison was created by Cece, how much of Cece was created like by Allison, like just the, the mirror of these two is so great. Um, and, and actually the acknowledgement that like, they look alike because they're sisters. Like there are so many times in this episode when I'm just, you guys tell each other, but so this is happening. Anyway, Cece says that Allie asked her for help in Ravenswood and now she needs Allison to help her. Yeah, like, I feel like Cece does everything except be like, Allie, why don't we go get a DNA test? <laughs> <laughs> we might find some interesting information. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which, like, I feel like that just makes it all so goofy that, like, it's going to be another season before we find out. But, like, it's it's so obvious. Like, it's so obvious, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, back at the police station... Holbrook is just now piecing together that Ezra Fitz is bum 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 a Fitzgerald. A little late to the game here, buddy. We got there in season three. Uh, but he's kind of piecing together that like the Fitzgeralds are rich. They own places like theaters in New York where like a shooting might have taken place. <laughs> this is so stupid. Ezra's family is so rich, like, they must own a million things in a million places. Like, why? Yeah. It, uh, I mean, obviously, it's because the plot wants to move from point A to point B, but it is, like, very clearly forced and not at all. Like, it does not flow in any way. And I think you could cut out all of the Holbrook scenes and the episode would still make complete sense. Like, yeah, we we get that Prezra's family owns the theater. We don't need a Holbrook to explain that. <laughs> No, this episode really does feel like it needs to, like, baby step the viewer through stuff. And I agree. The, the Holbrook scenes just drag it down. Especially because yeah. he's, he's not even acting with anyone. He's acting with his computer. Right, right. It's not he's, like he's got, like, Roma Mafia to, to <laughs> talk about this stuff with, you know? He, he doesn't even have, like, a voice assistant. Like, like Alexa, Ezra Fitz is a Fitzgerald. <laughs> I'm sorry, what do you want me to do with that information? <laughs> and he's a predator. Look who just caught up. Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Oh, um, so the weird filler. Oh, uh, so that, do you do you want that or do you want uh, you can? That was a really short scene. If you want to talk about uh, the diner. Oh, with, sure. With your favorite exclamation pointed uh, <laughs> Rosewood man. Who's just showed back up conveniently. Um, yeah, the diner. Like, I like how Ali is like, I can't be anywhere but this super secret theater that apparently nobody knows about. But, you know, I'll go have a cup of coffee with Cece and Noel. Like, what the hell? Um, so Allie is going to uh, help Cece escape. The police are still looking for her in Philly. And um, so Allie, or, or Allie is going to let Cece use, you know, her passport and her, her ticket. And I guess Noel is going to kind of help facilitate all of this because he's like the passport hookup guy. Um Allie gets sad as she realizes that this might be the last time she sees Cece. Uh, Cece throws out a rather, you know, um, fortuitous, don't be so dramatic, Allie, and says that they always find their way back to each other. Noel being Noel would like them to kiss, which like, LOL, there's all this like queer tension in this episode. And Noel happens to like be peeking in on the one where it actually would be incest. (laughs) That's so Noel. Um, the, the Cece and Allison hug goodbye and it is really very sweet, even if it's kind of weird that Allison is just like out and about in front of another glass window all of a sudden, uh, Cece walks out, leaving Noel and Allie to stand around and stare dramatically. Yeah, I, I really love this scene. I love that like Allison giving Cece her ticket out is like a measure of the love that these two have for each other. Uh, also, I love how, like, you know, uh, family are the people who help you with your criminal conspiracies. Like, that's the lesson of what's going on at the Hastings tonight. That's the lesson of sisters Allison and Cece here uh, planning Cece's transatlantic escape, uh, where she's about to start a new adventure of finding a new secret sibling across the pond. Yeah, well, and this is also Allison making the decision to stay, you know, I mean, she has always existed sort of with one foot out the door and, you know, an escape route right behind her if she needed to take it. And this is her like planting her feet a little bit and saying, no, I'm here. Yeah. And that this is like, um, Allison's friends have done so much to help her while she's on the run. And this is Allison, like kind of taking a moment and being like, I'm going to do what I can for you guys. Like, I'm going to try to help Aria. Yeah get in to see her predator boyfriend at the hospital. Uh, and I'm going to like have my name read over the PA system, uh, even though that could put me in jeopardy. Uh, and also like, I'm going to give someone else my ticket uh, to my new life. Yeah, for sure. It's great. It is. It's a really, it's a good scene. Um, elsewhere, Aria jolts awake in the waiting room chair and leaves her jacket that might still have a gun in the pocket unattended. Uh, We also get a look at her full outfit here, which includes like zebra stripe patterned leggings, combat boots, a black sleeveless dress with a white tiger face on it. Uh, And then this look is completed by the leopard print scarf, the red and purple (laughs) braided scarf, and the teal scarf that are all draped around her neck. There may also be a purple and brown one too, and they may or may not even be separate scarves. They might be like all one scarf that changes colors and patterns because it's one of those like jokey ones that magicians pull out of their <laughs> sleeves or their mouths. And Arya just like found it and was like, ooh, fashion. 
Anyway, <laughs> she goes to the nurse's station and learns that Fitz is in recovery. Uh, and we learn that this nurse really needs HIPAA training immediately. <laughs> um, there are not any cops around anymore, I guess, because Shauna is already in the room. Um, Arya is mad because Shauna was supposed to wake her up. Shauna says he's stable but not conscious yet. But of course, the magical presence of his latest Holly Golightly perks him right up and Prezra's eyes flutter open. He sees Arya and Shauna behind her and his monitors start beeping and crashing and medical, medical, Arya must call for help. And Shauna disappears amid the commotion without Susie Clueless putting it together that Prezra freaked out because Shauna is the one who shot him. Alternate theory, he was afraid Shauna might have told Arya he ordered his own shooting to regain their trust. But your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, very, very possible. Very possible. Yeah, Shauna is like coming back with like news of another teen girl that he's been scamming on. And he's like, oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I uh, gotta what get it- my Holly Golightly straight. <laughs> What do you think of my theory that Arya's many scarves are all one scarf? Oh, I I love that. I love that. I love the idea of Arya. I feel like Arya is a big fan of like estate sales, you know, (laughs) because like she finds cool vintage things and also like everything has a story, you know? And so I like the idea of her like going to like a magician's estate sale and finding that scarf and being like this, I have an outfit for this. (laughs) Um, so Allie sneaks back into the theater to find the sleeping liars all except an awake and rather indignant Emily who says that she thought that they were in this together. No more lies. Uh, Allie says that there are things Emily doesn't need to know about, but Emily says that's not a good enough answer. Spencer shifts and Allie takes Emily's hand and already we can see that this version of Allison with Emily is very soft and uh, very loving, and we don't know how much is a manipulation and how much isn't, which is always fascinating. I also really like how Allison is already rebuilding the element of secrecy into her relationship with Emily, um, which is really interesting because Allison has never existed in a world with the liars where the other liars know about her relationship with Emily or know that Emily is gay. Yeah. So she's used to sort of this. How much secret here? Yeah, I um, I feel like the scene starts out as like them acting out a scene from their future marriage, like Allison sneaking back in and Emily in a chair demanding to know where she's been. Um, but I also I also really like the blocking where yeah. Allison kneels down uh, to talk to Emily because I feel like um, it's Allison like placing herself lower than Emily, like kind of humbling herself in a way that she wouldn't have before. And it also echoes like a traditional proposal position. Uh, and I also yeah. I feel like there are so many thesis statements about like what it's going to be like from here on out. Uh, and so I feel like Emily gets to hers when Allison tries to give her the, you know, the, the pushback and Emily is like, that's, that's not a good enough answer anymore. Right. 
Right. Like I'm, I'm not just going to accept that and, and move on, which what's so funny is like, as we've talked about, like so much of Emerson's relationship in season four and season five is Emily being like, I don't care about Allison. Allison has no power over me. And then <laughs> Emily, like being the biggest simp where Allison is concerned. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, so in the undisclosed location, AKA the temple of Vander Jesus, Mona has invited Lucas, Paige, and a bunch of extras to an important meeting. Uh, she talks about how when Allison was around, she wasn't allowed to be Mona, and then asks them to all revisit their trauma around the labels that Allison gave them. Uh, Lucas was Hermie, Paige was Pigskin, one of the extras was Pussface, and another was Newt. Uh, one woman says Les, which I am filing away from my Allison's internalized homophobia folder. And also it is fascinating how Allison wielded that against some random woman who was not Paige. She did not want to label Paige that way, even in rumor, uh, so as presumably not to flag Emily's attention. Um, anyway, Mona wants them to unite as kind of a uh, uh, Mona's army protection racket. Uh, Paige is not into this. She says that she's not afraid of Allison anymore. And Mona says, really? She's not even back yet. She managed to break up you and Emily, which like, ouch. You know, they say if the rock don't hit you, don't holler. But like that hit Paige squarely between the eyes. Like, oh man, yeah. brutal. Brutal there, Mona. Uh, Paige stays strong, and when Mona starts talking about uh, bringing about Allison's downfall, uh, Paige heads for the door, just in time to see Melissa Hastings about to enter, announcing to the group, we don't have much time. And Paige is so dazzled by the gorgeousness of Melissa in her trench coat that she stays in the room, after all. I just, the way that she does that, like, obviously, I mean, not obviously, I think what we're supposed to be, like, thinking is that Paige is like, oh, this is interesting. Like, what's Melissa Hastings doing here? Perhaps I shall be a double agent. But, like, what it totally looks like is Paige being like, oh, Melissa Hastings is here? <laughs> Hang out for a little while and kind of. You know, see what's going on. I ship all combinations, by the way, of Mona, Melissa, Mona, Paige, and Paige, Melissa. And obviously, you know, a thruple is really the only way to solve this problem. But like, <laughs> it's like there's, I think that the Mona Paige relationship this season, they don't get a lot of time together, but it's fascinating because Mona is basically saying, you know, she hurt us. We have to hurt her back. We have to fight back and be an army. And Paige is basically saying, we need to be, you know, Paige is basically like, when they go low, we go high. Like, we need to be the ones to, like, forgive and move on. And, like, how are we ever going to get peace if we keep fighting? And it's a really interesting dynamic, um, especially for Paige, who has such a, like, fighter's instinct, as, as we've seen, to to be saying that. And, you know, as much as we've talked about, like, how Paige can be really out of character sometimes... I actually really like this as a character note for her. I think it's a really interesting sort of symbol of like where she is in her growth journey. Um, and I wish that there were more Mona and Paige scenes because I think that, um, yeah, I think that it makes a lot of sense. I actually think that uh, like uh, it would not be that hard to craft like a fake dating AU for Mona Page during this time where like they are, you know, trying to spy on Emerson or something. And so they like, pretend to be a couple because they're like hanging out all the time 
all the words of, of a slow burn fic just sort of materializes. Would love that for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it. I think it definitely could exist. Um, meanwhile, more gay activity is happening with Emerson. Uh, Allie is revealing that Prezra was paying Cece for info, which is why Cece was in Ravenswood. She was never the real A redcoat. A put Emily in the box and uh, Cece actually helped save Emily uh, at the behest of Allison. Emily asks why this all has to be a secret. And, and Allie says that it is because of Wilden. Allie's face is on the passport. And um, so basically if anybody gets in trouble for this, it will be Allie and Cece. Although she points out that now she's brought Emily into it. And so Emily is like officially an accessory, which this is such a like Allie thing where she's like, I won't let any of this fall on any of you, but you can't tell anybody because you're technically an accessory to this crime too. And like, you could go down for it as well. Um, <laughs> the Allie giveth and the Allie taketh away. Um, things are rather intimate between the two of them. There's some kind of, uh, light touching and lots of eye chatter. Uh, Hannah and Spencer burst in and they both seem to kind of wonder like what's been going on in this room. But before they can really question that, Hannah reveals that she has gotten a call from Aria but can't hear her. And Allie advises to call the house line. Yes. Uh, oh, man. I love this Emerson so much. Um and then, unfortunately, we revert to this Holbrook stuff, which is so ridiculous. Um, he's still Googling, and now he has found a web page about the Fitzgerald Theater. <laughs> like, as I said before, all of this shit that the Fitzgerald family probably owns, and he decides that this is what's important. And also, like, just as I was saying, that this episode really, like, does not trust the viewers and wants to just walk us through. You even get a shot of his, like, sausage finger pointing at the phone <laughs> number, just so that we're not, like, confused about what he's going to do next. Uh, anyway... He's about to dial the number for the house phone. <laughs> Do you want to take like this next section? <laughs> yeah, at, at the theater, Allie is talking to Ezra on the house phone. And Aria is saying that Prezra is out of surgery right before the call fails. When the phone rings a second later, Allie picks it up and says, hello, can you hear me? Holbrook is like, Allison, is that you? And no idea why Allison didn't pretend to just like be the wrong number or something. But instead, she hangs up and looks spooked uh, with tears in her eyes. Also, like a Rosewood teacher is shot in New York, like the city of New York that has millions of people. And Holbrook decides that it must lead back to Allison, even though he doesn't know that Prezra is a predator and Prezra didn't start teaching at Rosewood High until a year after Allison went missing. Like, none of this makes any sense. Yeah, completely agree. It's, it's, it's a lot of, like, this episode feels like a lot of, like, hurry up and wait and then wait and hurry up. Like, it's a lot of, like, we have to kind of connect these dots and then some other stuff is just going to be, like, completely over-explained and spelled out. It's really weird. It's, it's so, it's so weird. And so now, Holbrook is calling down the might of the NYPD on the Fitzgerald <laughs> Theater because he thinks he has a 1020 on Allison De Laurentiis, a young woman who has not been accused of any crimes, who might <laughs> simply have run away from home. Go get her, boys. 
Um, Aria calls the house phone a bunch more times, willing the liars to pick up. They, of course, do not. They stand around the phone looking freaked. Yeah, I felt like that shot was very Hitchcock, like of all of them staring at the phone that's ringing endlessly. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, so then, like, Arya hangs up, and she's just kind of like, oh, whatever, and hangs up, <laughs> then sneaks back in to see Prezra. Uh, again, like, nobody's questioning why all these teen girls are just kind of skulking around his room and popping in and, like, tenderly caressing his hand. Nope, no questions at all. Um, his eyes drift open, and she says, he'll be okay, but he's clearly upset about something. Uh, back at the theater, Allie says that she didn't recognize the voice. Spencer thinks that they should get Allie to the airport, which is really interesting. I feel like Spencer is like maybe thinking to herself, like, maybe I don't want Allie back. Like, maybe it would be better if she was like away. Um, because Spencer, if you'll remember, like, like now she's like, eh. <laughs> where's that passport, Allie? Where's that plane ticket? Um, but Allie sort of reluctantly admits that she doesn't have it anymore. Uh, back at the hospital, Prezra whispers something to Arya, and she runs off, clearly looking for somebody. Um, Allie confesses that she gave the ticket away to somebody who needed it more, but she won't tell them who. Spana yell at her in unison about no more secrets. They didn't keep them together. They tore them apart. But Emily says that they can argue in the cab, and they run back to the stage, Suddenly convinced that they, like, need to hurry for some reason, even though I don't think that they know that the cops are, like, imminently after them, I guess. Yeah, they, they definitely don't know that it's Holbrook who called, because why would they assume that it was him? Yeah, why would they? I mean, it, it could just be somebody, like, asking about the next Showtime for Lion King or whatever. Like, why are they <laughs> so convinced it's, like, somebody who's going to come there and figure it out? I mean, they know that whoever it was said Allison's name. So, like, they have, they have reason to be like, okay, someone knows we're here. We should probably get out of here. But, like, they're running. They're, like, literally full-on running back to the stage to grab their jackets and, like, probably Emily's cell phone, presumably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is, like, always, it's, it's never where she needs it to be when they're about to run for their lives. And, like, the, the times that it is, she has no service, like, when she, uh, in the lighthouse or when, like, they're, like, I feel like there have been multiple times where it's, like, oh, no Emily in her phone. They're trapped in the elevator. They're trapped in the elevator. Yes, exactly. Okay, so the liars are trying to grab all their stuff to GTFO. Um, but then the house lights suddenly go down, it's darkness, and then the stage lights come up, a hooded figure appears pointing a gun at them, and it is Shauna saying, I couldn't have picked a better place to end your story. Um, there are shocked exclamations of, Shauna, Shauna, and then Spencer is holding Allie's hand and trying to shield her which is a nice full circle to Spencer's initial fear that she might have hurt Allie mm -hmm. as she's now being like physically courageous and trying to defend her. Emily is standing in front of, in front of Hannah protectively in a similar fashion. Uh, Shauna says she thought she locked them all in together at the lodge, but Allison was late to the party. So much for fighting fire with fire. And then, despite having just copped to trying to burn them all to death, she orders Spencer to get back as if she doesn't want to shoot her, only Allison. 
Yeah, I mean, everything's a mess from here on out. Uh, <laughs> this, like, it's just, just disclaimer. Um, this is, this felt very scream too to me, the big confrontation on the stage. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, so much time has elapsed between the fire at Thornhill Lodge and this moment where Shauna's like, tried to burn you all alive at Thornhill Lodge. Like, I had to like search back through my memory banks for like, Oh, do we still care about that? Like, that has not been an active mystery for, like, a full season. And, like, I, everybody had pretty much decided that it was Wilden who had done it anyway and sort of seemingly kind of accepted that explanation, which, like, sure, made as much sense as anything else. So for it to be like, oh, no, it's Shauna. Um, also, like, Shauna has had a lot of opportunities to kill the liars since then. And it would probably be easier to kill them not all together. Yeah, I mean, if Sha- if what Shauna wants is for Allison to be dead, Shauna was meeting Allison alone all the time. Shauna had, like, an ability to contact Allison, an ability to meet up with Allison, an ability to arrange meetups for Allison. Like, Shauna could have just shot her in the warehouse and nobody would have been the wiser. Like, waiting until this moment is, is just, like, it, as you said, like, from here on out, it's nonsense and nothing makes sense. Yeah, there's nothing that feels like calculated about Shauna, like the Mona reveal or even the Charlotte reveal. Like there was, it was very calculated like that that was being revealed at that particular time. And like with Mona, there was even the whole bit about like she was maybe going to pin it on Melissa and then like Spencer figured it out and like all of that. Like it was very, the steps of her reveal made sense and why it happened when it did made sense this makes no sense like there's no reason why this is happening now other than that they're like ah we need an a reveal you know right right um so allison is outraged she trusted shauna oh but she sent shauna to rosewood to ask questions and shauna got so many answers from all the people that allison had hurt allison keeps talking and I like that where Allison moves away from the liars to make herself a solo target. The blocking in this episode, I just feel like, is is really, really good. Uh, mm-hmm. Emily tries to plead Allison's case, saying that she's made mistakes. Hannah says that Shauna is sick, like Mona was, but she can get help. Uh, and then Shauna declares she isn't Mona, and this is not a game. It's justice. Which, like, she says it's justice. And that line, like telepathically transmits to Allison that it's justice for Jenna who (laughs) Shauna has fallen in love with that is a leap but Shauna (laughs) agrees to it uh, declaring that Allison has no idea who Jenna is (laughs) yeah it almost is like it's like like they're mad libbing mad libsing Shauna like it's like and one, one explanation for justice. Uh, Jenna, sure, like that works, you know. I think a really interesting reveal would have been that somebody paid Shauna off to confess to being A, and she, like, didn't think it was, like, she was, like, told to intimidate the liars or something because, like, they were getting too close. Um, and she was, like, she, you know, never planned for it to end with her dying. Like Prezra, for example. Like Prezra. A rich exactly. guy who was employing people uh, around the mystery of who is A. 
Exactly. But like, oh my God, this is just, this explanation makes me so mad because the show, like, this is like yet another example and really probably the most solid example of the show being like, basically like Shauna's feelings for another woman are what led her to become evil. Like Shauna's queerness in essence led her to become evil the way that Mona's love and obsession for Hannah and Allison led her to become evil the way that Charlotte's transness led her to become evil like whether intentional or not I feel like they are constantly drawing this line between like evil secret queer feelings and like being a Oh yeah, and if you look at um, if you look at gunplay on on PLL where people die in a lot of different ways, uh, in terms of people who fire a gun or who shoot someone with a gun on PLL, uh, it's never it's never a white guy and it's never uh, it's never uh, a straight white person who does it. Like we have uh, Lyndon, who is uh, you know who is a black man who shoots Caleb in the lighthouse. Uh, we have Shauna, who is a black queer woman who is, you know, firing her gun at the liars in the last episode and uh, is threatening them with the gun here, who fires later at the at the light that shatters. Um, we have Cece, who shot Wilden, who is a trans woman uh, who shot Wilden. And then uh, I think we're going to uh, I don't know if he ever fires the gun, but we see that Clark has a gun uh, in mm-hmm. season six mm-hmm. and he's he's another armored black man who's running around town and jenna yeah jenna has a gun jenna is a queer character with a gun uh who shoots spencer maybe uh after the jump a queer character and a character with a disability mm-hmm. which the show mm-hmm. constantly buys her for um yeah it's yeah it's it, like shauna's death is hot garbage uh shauna's reveal of being a is hot garbage i hate that it that I mean, it's 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 terrible no matter how you look at it. It's a bad storytelling decision, first of all. But the fact that she is a queer black woman and she is revealed to be evil and revealed to have sort of fallen in obsessive love with, you know, this woman and that is what made her evil. And then she must die for it. Like, it's awful. And I hate seeing her seeing it be like she's threatening all of our like our our perfect heroes. And, you know, for that, she must die. Yeah, it's absurd. And there are like, I feel like there are, um, you know, I I read a lot of mysteries. My partner is a mystery writer. Like, there are the best mysteries, uh, like Mona being the A reveal. Like, you get to it and it's like, oh, wow, I never saw that coming. But it's so clever. And like, going back, I can like follow the clues the detective used to like figure out how we got to this point. This is not like the conclusion of a great detective novel. This is like, in addition to being a transphobe, J.K. Rowling has something else in uh, in common with this show in that her Robert Galbraith novels that she writes constantly have endings that you never saw coming, not because it's so clever, because, but because it makes absolutely no sense. Because if you think about it for two seconds, you're like, I don't understand how this pretzel is supposed to tie together. This is nonsense. And it's nonsense just so that she can have this like, see, I surprised you type moment. Uh, And it's just not, it's, it's just not well-earned surprise. 
Yeah. And, it, you know, it's like, it, well, we'll get to this in a minute, but like adding insult to injury, it's like, oh, yeah, Jenna didn't know she's here. And so it's oh. like Jenna, her white partner, gets to like retain her, her purity on this matter. Um, it's just it's it's so bad. And and like I like your theory that she was just paid to confess to being a and to menace that because like seriously, what is she gonna do? Is she going to shoot Allison and then shoot Hannah, Spencer, and Emily here in the theater? That seems like like it's debatable whether we're even supposed to believe that Shauna is a killer here. Um, but like, I, I don't know. It just it doesn't it doesn't play. She's gonna shoot all four of them for Jenna and then never tell Jenna that she did it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be kind of funny if she like did that and then like pinned it on Arya and was like Arya went on the street. It was like Arya shot Fitz and then all of her friends with this gun that is like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna like when I see her I'm gonna put it back in her jacket. <laughs> That's gonna that's gonna be fine. That's gonna be how this goes. Yeah, Jenna's end game is really unclear. Um, <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what what she's trying to do here. And and we know that Jenna was involved in the fire at Thornhill. Like Jenna, Melissa, and Shauna were all supposed yeah. to be involved in that. So like, did Shauna just go rogue, or were Jenna and Melissa helping her to burn down the lodge? None of this. None of this makes sense. Right. And it's also like, it's not even like she has a line of like, oh, and I'm going to pin it, you know, I've set it up perfectly to pin all of your murders on insert character here. Like, it just seems like Jen, like Shauna's like, I'm, I'm just done. Like, I'm just done with this, with this game. I'm just going to like shoot you all and like, maybe go on the run or maybe turn myself in or maybe shoot myself. Like, there's no real understanding of like what comes next well and and what is it that shauna like shauna says like once allison is dead jenna can go back to living her life like in what way can jenna not like it, are, are we saying that jenna is also being threatened by an unknown person and shauna thinks it's allison and wants to protect her from them like is is that what we're supposed to get out of this because there is nothing stopping Jenna and Shauna from going on the run now. Shauna was, like, out of Rosewood. She was, like, threatened out of Rosewood by CC, by Presra, by some person. Uh, but she could leave Rosewood. She could take Jenna with her. They would never have to see Allison again. I don't really understand how Allison's death is supposed to give anyone the gift of clarity here. And, you know, I could even see maybe a scenario because like we have talked about how the liars are consistently terrible terrible to a lot like non-liar rosewood high students and so like i could even maybe see if like if they built the case a little bit more of like you you know you people are awful and like mean, mean to everybody and like you deserve it blah 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 but they don't even, like, she doesn't even really get to have, like, a long, cool, killer monologue. And, I mean, I think another unfortunate piece about all of this is, like, we've talked about how the actress who plays Shauna is, like, not the most dynamic. And you want somebody in the big killer, you know, mode who is going to be a really dynamic. But the other issue, I think, is that, like, 
the writing for her has been so consistently flat and consistently inconsistent with basically other characters just being like, I don't know about that Shauna. She seems sketchy, but also like she might be sending Emily nudes, but also like, we don't know, you know? And so it's like, it's, it's all just like everything about Shauna has been so vague. Um, I it's, it doesn't make much sense at all. Actually, I think if it was going to be another character in this episode and they were hell bent on having it not be Prezra, I think Lucas would have been a more compelling choice. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, and also we haven't even seen Jenna since she almost drowned in Into the Deep, which was like season four, episode like eight or nine. Like it was very, it's been a really long time since we've even seen Jenna. So just like invoking her now as this like mystic cause for Shauna's justice. Again, it just is not, it just is not something that works, I feel like. No, and and I also feel like something that is implied in all of this, but like for some weird reason, nobody ever states it, is the idea that Shauna at some point was in love with Allison. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They like that does seem to be implied, especially when like, like Allison is trying to say like Jenna, you know, Jenna doesn't love you. She's just playing you. And Shauna says, like, no, Allison, that's what you do. Uh, So there's definitely, like, they they definitely see. And I mean, obviously, Shauna was in love with Allison. Why else did she, like, pack up her whole life in Georgia and come to Rosewood to, like, be one of Allison's minions? Like, I know that Allie, (laughs) I know that Allie just has these platonic powers that constantly have you know, adult men inviting her to hotel rooms in Hilton Head and, like, (laughs) taking her on romantic indoor picnics. I know that she really has, like, this mysterious, charismatic pull. Um, But I think think at some point you got to call a spade a spade. Well, I mean, my goodness, if she was just making, like, a G-rated video for her grandma's (laughs) kid, probably she, she and Shadow were just, like, painting each other's toenails and, you know talking six feet apart about knitting or something equally oh yes yes they were probably in a a very um you know a very progressive book club together yes yes yeah yeah maybe they did a bit of baking together Mm. or something Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) oh no not baking we know that emily with emily and talia baking is definitely (laughs) (laughs) i've seen fried green tomatoes i know what Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird choice. It doesn't work really on any level at all. And it's like, it's it's just smooshed in. Like, it's, yeah. I, I would say this is like the last maybe six minutes of the episode that we're getting all of this, this info dump in. If that. Yeah, it, it's really, it's really tagged on. And I, I got to believe that there was just like, that the fans were clamoring for an A reveal and Marlene had promised it or something because it doesn't even really feel like this episode needs to end with an A reveal. Other than that, I think fans were like getting bored and riding in the streets or whatever. Well, I, I guess they wanted it to not be Prezra. Like they were like, I mean, even though that was like an excellent choice, they were like, okay, it's not going to be him. We just need like, it was like, they just kind of did a like, who can we get to guest star? and whoever was available that's who a was gonna be yeah for sure for sure it's yeah so shall i take us to aria 
<laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Shauna's going on and on, but it's it's not going to matter. She's menacing them with her gun until... Until enter Arya with the rifle in hand. Um, Arya, like, very dramatically knocks out Shauna with the rifle. Uh, and, and to do that, she yells... Yeah, Shauna goes off and, like... Oh, I was just going to say, she... Arya gets her attention by yelling, Hey, Shauna! Which yeah. is another, like, that's so Arya! I know! I'm surprised she doesn't say it like, Hey, Shauna! Like, <laughs> what are you doing here, girl? Nice to see you! Um, <laughs> thanks for putting my jacket around me! Um, yeah, she... So, there's, like, kind of a, a, a gun-to-gun scuffle here, where, like, Shauna's gun goes off, Arya knocks her out into the orchestra pit and Shauna just dies instantly (laughs) she like she isn't shot there's two active guns involved in this scene but Shauna falls into the not terribly far down orchestra pit and simply dies does she have Holden's exploding heart syndrome yeah, I I feel like this is a confusing series of events. <laughs> yes. Like it's it's all been kind of a mess, but like this is a weird series of events. I I'm sure that you can die from like a 10-foot fall on your head. Like that could probably kill you. Like in the way that you could technically drown in an inch of water. It's still like a weird, weird end for this character. Like kind of like when the X-Files tried to kill the cigarette smoking man by having him fall down some stairs. Like it just, I, I it like, I even went back to the scene where Ali and Prezra were in the theater and I counted how many steps Allison walks up <laughs> to get on the stage. It is six steps. And the steps are not like, they're not like giant steps. They're not like <laughs> a foot each that she's like climbing up. So I, I don't know how deep they want this orchestra pit to be. And I also feel like if they were going to have her die from a fall, like maybe she should have like broken her neck or something, or like she should have like fallen on something that obviously killed her, but they just have her like laying there and there's a pool of blood behind her head. And it's like, Oh, well, another accidental murder. What's she going to do? It's <laughs> a lot so- of that going around. <laughs> such a weird choice because we saw her like swinging from buildings and like like acing that drop from like a a roof you know like we don't even really know how she got on the ambulance if she like dropped from the roof or whatever but like that little jump down into the orchestra pit it almost makes me wonder if they did if there was a version of this script where Arya just shot her and they were like "Ooh, the optics of that aren't great let's have her like just sort of nebulously fall and it's nobody's fault really (laughs) yeah it is uh, I mean I actually like uh, again for my list of things that should have happened in this episode but didn't there should be like a trap door with a bunch of spikes underneath it that she was trying to like walk Allie off the plank into and then she like falls down into that like this episode already had a flash mob like you don't really have to worry about like being too corny at this point yeah it's yeah like an alligator pit inexplicably under the theater (laughs) for some reason yeah maybe it was like a production of Chicago and like you know somebody somebody like fell off a thing doing a dance move or something like yeah 
Um, yeah, or like, or like, remember when they thought that Cece was dead? Like, doesn't it seem like Cece's fall when Arya kicked yes, her off of the yes, scaffolding yes, yes. was like way worse than this fall? And yet Cece like was like at a weird angle and then popped up and ran away. Well, isn't it funny that that was Arya both times? Like Arya, Arya really likes to push people. And like Toby fell off that scaffolding. Uh, when he was, like, working as a, a teen carpenter. And that also seemed like it was probably worse than this. But this is yeah. the one. This is the one that kills you. This does it. And if you're, a woman, if you're a queer woman of color, you just can't take any chances. No, it's just, it's just, your death is just imminent, apparently. Um, so... Yes, Emily runs down. I don't know why poor Emily has to be the one to do this, but she's like, yep, she's dead. Also, how did Emily get down there? Did Emily <laughs> jump? <laughs> I'll take the back stairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she just like scrambles down there, confirms that Shauna is dead. It is funny to me that Arya and Emily are the two liars to have killed someone at this point. Um Spencer like grabs Arya's shoulder and is like, "You did what you had to do." And Arya doesn't seem too terribly concerned. She kind of accidentally murdered somebody. She's like, "Yeah, I did," and it really is over. LOL. Um, the liars all embrace. Uh, Allison notably seems the most upset. Emily's ready to go home. That's a series wrap on Shauna, everybody. Um, but Allie says that they can't just leave her there. So Spencer calls it in to the police. But she also doesn't do a wacky accent, which feels like a missed opportunity. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, this is just what a way. What a way to go out. Shauna, we barely knew you. We really barely knew you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, At the airport, Cece is wearing an enormous hat and sunglasses and passes for Vivian Darkbloom, uh, speaking French as she boards the flight uh, to her new life in Paris. Of course, this uh, historic flight where she is going to meet <laughs> Archer Dunhill, and then uh, the moment that she lands in Paris is going to get a call from Ren uh, to tell her about the existence of Alex Drake. Oh, what a vacation you are in for, CC Drake. My goodness. Um, <laughs> then we see we see police entering the theater with guns drawn. Uh, the lights are out. Eventually, discovering Shauna's body in the orchestra pit. Also, so the police have been like maybe tracking their phones, right? And get, there had been a whole thing in the last episode about like we got the warrant to track their phones. And oh, like, but like. Okay, so I guess that they've been using the burner phones then that Spencer called using the burner phone. I'm going to assume that that's true because we but but what we had heard was we heard that Noel had their phones. Noel had like taken their phones um, and I'm going to assume that he turns them off. You would think so. But it's like, do, do they ever get them back? Like, where is Noel in all of this? Like, he's just disappeared again. <laughs> well, he was having coffee at the diner. Presumably, he's still there. He's, like, reading a newspaper and, like, <laughs> doing really a crossword puzzle. He's just, like, waiting. He's waiting until Allison calls with the next dead body that he has to pretend <laughs> to discover for the police. Exactly. It's like, oh, man, I just stumbled into this orchestra pit. No. <laughs> 
dead girl down there. <laughs> He's like, I was just coming here to play my violin, and then, <laughs> then this happened. Fifth dead girl twice in one <laughs> night. What are the odds? Yeah. <laughs> but like and my my question about, I mean, I have many questions about all of this, um, but. Like, when the police burst in at the end, presumably those are the cops that were sent by Holbrook, because they're, like, coming in with their guns out. So I'm not really sure. I I mean, I guess Spencer just had to call and say there'd been an accident so that later they can be like, oh, Spencer made this call or something. But it's it's super weird. Like, it's it's super weird that they kind of double up on people coming over the spot. It would be kind of interesting if it was like two sets of cops and they were like on separate missions mm-hmm. and it was sort of a, you know, um, spy versus spy moment, but they don't really have time for that at the end of the episode. Yeah, maybe it's to just make the liars look less heartless, you know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it is a it is weird. It is it is pretty weird, um, as is everything about this ending. It's pretty weird. It is. It is. And I um I am really interested. I, I feel like the episode, like the Explano episode at the end of season four, and then this episode, um, I I was like misremembering the end of this episode. I thought this episode ended with the liars getting off the bus in Rosewood. Uh, but I was wrong mm-hmm. about that. That happens in the next episode. So I'm, yeah. eager, I'm eager to get there. These three, these like last three episodes, well, this, the last episode, this episode, and then next week's episode, I feel like all kind of mushed together in my mind as like the weird New York arc where the liars are like wearing the same clothes and on endlessly, you know? Yeah. And it's like the endless November of a night because this night has been going on since the bridal show. Yeah. Yeah. No wonder Spencer is starving. Like, yeah. Yeah, and they kind of refuse to put a timestamp on anything. Like, it's like, has it been like six hours or like 16 hours, you know? Or or six days. We really don't know. But notably, the A tag for this episode, because the show is pretending that we've caught our A. Yes, yes, it's true that where the A tag would go, we just see Shauna's body. It's like a Shauna tag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's all, I also feel like the fact that, like, w- you know, we see Shauna's body, like, just sort of laid out, bloodied with her eyes open. Like, it's, it's just all really unnecessary the way that they kind of present her to us. Yeah. And I'm going to say that that is actually, um, that is actually a foreshadowing of Sarah Harvey's death. Like in the post-jump world where it's like a queer woman who has not been terribly well written by the writers meets a bad end and the audience is like the audience gets to like gaze on their deadness as like a, you know, a a moment that's just built there for you to feel like happy about. Right. It's sort of like a laugh and cheer moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like jokes on you, writers. You wrote so terribly for this character that nobody cares that they're dead. Like, that's kind of a self own, I feel like. <laughs> I really agree. You know? Um, but yeah, that is Escape from New York. Although the liars 
did not attempt to escape from New York at all and are still in New York. Yeah, so nor, nor did they yeah, nor did they succeed <laughs> in escaping New York. Yeah. So um good work girls. You you made it. You made it through. <laughs> Next episode still in New York. <laughs> yes. Next episode is Whirly Girly, which is a, a fun title. Uh Toby returns, Allie has a dog, Arya struggles with being a murderer. There's lots going on. Good times. Yeah. Yeah. What do you so overall as a as a premiere, this this episode never even really feels like a premiere to me. I feel like this I feel like this um this season and next season do the same thing where like the finale and the premiere are basically just like two part episodes and sort of feel indistinguishable from each other. But what did you think of this episode as a premiere? Um, I mean it it feels like it it's not a good premiere in that it doesn't like start us on a new course. Like it, in some ways it does. Cause Allison is back now and she's making the decision to stay back. But like this entire episode is dedicated to like wrapping up everything that happened in, in like in the previous episode. Right. Right. I, I do think that there's a, there's more like style and momentum and like interesting character stuff happening in this episode. And I feel like this episode gives me just the barest taste of the thing that I always want from this show, which is the liars processing their feelings and actually getting to like exist in a world without a, which this season will kind of give us a taste of when in the next few episodes, Um, as I've said multiple times, I would have loved a whole season of the show without a, where the liars are just like dealing with their trauma. Oh, I completely agree. And this episode does have good stuff. It has Mona in it. Any episode with Mona is better than an episode without her. Um, and so it sets up like the Mona's army dynamic that's going to come into play. Uh, and it it kind of starts to set up like, what are the liars' lives going to look like when Allison is well and truly back? Uh, we start getting like, this is like the peak Emerson complex era um, which I, I really like, and we're going to get into some great stuff with them as we head into Miss Me Times 100, which is coming up so soon. Oh my gosh, speaking of which, um, I think that it is possible that this is the 100th episode of our podcast. Really? I'm not sure. On my on my iTunes, it said like 99 episodes, and I don't know if it was just like, it can't count higher than 99, or if this is really the 100th, but this might be the 100th episode. I think I can. I think I can do a live check on that. Oh, that's uh, so exciting! If you, if you vamp for a second, I can. Uh, I can. I can possibly confirm or deny that. Yeah. Let's if not, here. it's going to be the 100th episode of our podcast celebrated because I just, <laughs> because I just realized that we might be over 100 episodes. But at any rate, that's kind of exciting. I'm really glad we've been doing this project for as long as we have. I am too. Okay. Why does our podcast platform not say how many episodes of the podcast you have? <laughs> that seems like a kind of like not a super helpful thing. Okay, wait. Give me one more second. I'm going to I'm going to just try to see. I'm going to try one other avenue to see if I can figure this out. Okay. Because, okay. It's just been it's been nice like especially during especially during pandemic times, which are goodness, still upon us. Uh, it's been nice, like, to have a project to look forward to, like, making my notes every week and then talking about PLL. Oh, I completely agree. And it's, it's like, a sense of forward momentum, which I think feels really good. Um, this, I, we'll, you know what, we'll have an answer next week. 
<laughs> for our listeners. Right. We'll figure right. this oh, out. Listeners, if you have any idea how many of <laughs> this podcast we've done, please let us know. Yes, we're clearly uh yeah, yeah. We're we've been we've been like ragging on the liars like skills in this episode. <laughs> I feel like this is like a simple thing that we're <laughs> Uh-huh. Right. But if, if you have any thoughts on um, whether child brides are allowed in ambulances and or hospital rooms, uh, or if you have any thoughts about the big double date at the theater or uh, any theories about like what might have actually uh, killed Shauna, like if uh, if Cece like hit her in the neck with an unseen blow dart from the balcony as she was falling uh, like, or if she had like an allergy to some kind of uh, substance that was on the floor of the orchestra pit, um, you know, any anything like that, please let us know. Yes, we would be very curious to find out your theories. If you have any like fanfic premises born out of this episode, we want to know them. We want to know about your Mona Melissa Page fanfic. Um, we got We got to come up with a good ship name for the three of them, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you can, of course, email us at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. And we will be, be back next week with Whirly Girly. Until then. Until then. Take care. 